go ahead. We're going to invite you to return to your seats. We're not going to have a fancy roll-in or video or anything because really we want to get right to the point of what we're doing today. This is really unusual. It's different. But um, it was actually Annette who brought this idea to me, and we had some friends up in Nashville who did something similar to this, and it was so beautiful and so life-giving. And what it is, it's something that's been on my heart for many years. And I'll just start with this, and just to kind of kick it off. In 2004, I was with a group of pastors at a conference, and they had this session where they had all the pastors come into a room, and they brought in a counselor, a therapist, who began to speak to us about addictive behaviors, about escapism, about things that people do to deal with and cope with, the pressures of ministry, and you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Because let me tell you something about us pastors as a breed, (laughs) as a species. We don't like to talk about our stuff. And I remember being in that room, it was like the barometric pressure in the room changed. And the guy was standing up there, and and it was resonating with me. The season of life I was in, this is 15 years ago, the season of life I was in, I was like, I want help. I need help. I don't have this all figured out. In fact, uh, I'm I'm not perfect at all. At the very end of his talk, he said, all right, any of you want to come talk to me? I'm going to be standing right here. And you would have thought that man had leprosy when we ended that thing because no one would go near him except me. And I bolted right up to him. I was glad no one else came. I bolted right up to him. I said, I said, sir, I need help. Do you think you could help me? He was up in McKinney, Texas. I lived in Abilene at the time, and I drove the three and a half hours through a pouring rain because I wanted help. Because here's what I figured out a long time ago. I don't have it all together. I don't have this thing figured out. And I need help. And you know what? In some Christian circles and religious circles, it's not okay to not be okay. Or at least it's not okay to talk about it. And so to me and the church at large, this is a very broad sweeping statement, is that we don't talk about mental illness, about depression, about suicide, about addictions. We don't talk about it enough. And yet, we have so many people, at least by percentage, that are struggling. I'm going to introduce in just a moment our our panel here, our distinguished panel. But here's what we're doing today. You can see the screen. We are starting the conversation about mental illness. Now, I say starting, it's because we can't end it today in the time that we have. But we're starting the conversation. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the ability to think well. And so I want to just welcome our guest, Renee Pennington. And there's a lot of, lot of initials behind their names. In fact, Renee said it's like looking at alphabet soup with all these names. But Renee Pennington's with us. Wave, Renee. And then also Erica Benfield right here is Erica. Linda Atkins right here. Susan Jennings right here. And Sam Warren from Oak Hills Church. Which, Sam, thanks for making the drive over from our, for our home office, so to speak, home base. Thanks for being with us. Can we bless them and welcome them? So I want to kick off today with this. In 2013, Matthew Warren was 27 years old. He's the son of Rick and Kay Warren of Saddleback Community Church in Southern California. He took his life after a lifelong battle with severe depression from the time he was seven when they began to realize something was, something was amiss. And he struggled his entire life and finally ended his life. And that's what you don't want to see as a parent. You never want to see what you're looking at right now. 
young man, 27 years of age, his whole life ahead of him, ended his life because of depression and losing a battle with depression. I know, I was talking to somebody that I've got several friends of mine who are pastors who also have lost their sons to suicide. It's just, it's, it's epidemic. And as we see in the statistics, it's, it's happening more and more. I'm going to go quickly through this. Studies show that 60 million Americans will experience a mental illness in any given year. That's one in five adults and one in ten children. And that's from 2014, so these stat, that stat's older. Half of all adults will experience a mental illness in their lifetime. Half. Look around this room and cut this room in half. And think about the suffering that's happening many times in silence. 70% of clergy do not feel equipped to handle mental illness. I'm talking about how to, how to deal with it and what to do about it. It's not something we studied in seminary. One out of four pastoral care calls are related to mental illness. It's 25%. In 2017, 47,173 Americans died by suicide. There were an estimated 1.4 million suicide attempts in that year. On average, there are 129 suicides per day. That's less than one every 14 minutes. Every 14 minutes, somebody ends their life in America. 90% of people who take their life have an underlying mental illness. Can we pray as we get started? Father, we thank you for the privilege of starting this conversation. Give us grace. Father, thank you for our panel that's here. Thank you for the, I look at them as the years of experience and the wealth of knowledge that's right here. And I'm, I'm humbled and honored that they're here with us today. Father, bless them. Speak through them to bring life and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. So in starting the conversation, so here it is. I'm going to throw this out, and there is no order, and this is not scripted, which means if you come to the second service, you're going to hear something very different. So that's about 80 minutes of quality therapeutic time. So I would take advantage of that if I were you. So look at this. How do we remove the stigma of mental health in the church and create a safe environment where it's okay to say, I'm not okay, I need help. And there it is if you need to see that again. How do we remove that stigma? Well, I think we're doing it already, having this kind of conversation. Okay. You know, it, it always pleases me whenever a preacher or pastor will get up and say something about actually going through it or having it in their family and not being ashamed of it. Yeah. So I think people take their cues from that. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. then just to, just to echo, um, you know, the statistic that we just had, 50% of people. I mean, so there's a lot of people that um, I see in my practice who think that, you know, they have, they struggle with, they struggle with anxiety or depression and they think that yeah. they're the only people that do it. And um, what I really try to let people know and is evident with that statistic is you are not alone. This mm. is something that so many people struggle with and it's okay to say I'm struggling with it too. Good, good. And I think a lot of Christians feel like if I just prayed more, if I was just more spiritual, 
if I was just a better person, mm. you know, that, that I could get through this on my own. And that's just not true. Um, we need help getting through this. We can't yeah. do this on our own. Oh, and, good. of course, prayer and getting closer to God, that's huge. Yeah. But we've got, to, we've got to treat spirit, mind, and body. Yes, thank you. And so often people who are really depressed or have anxiety can't pray. I mean, they want mm-hmm. to, shut but down. they feel sometimes like they've lost their faith and it scares them and they don't really want to admit it to anybody. But they're the ones who need someone to help. I mean, that's why the Spirit helps us pray. I mean, yes. And we can help each other that way. And also, a lot of times with depression, people have this intense feeling of unworthiness. Mm. And that's why it's so important, the series that you went through about who we are in Christ. Yeah, our identity. You know, the enemy wants, wants them to feel unworthy yeah. and hopeless. Yeah. And that's where the church can come in and walk alongside and encourage these folks and get them the help they need. This is nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you. Look at them and say that, please. This is nothing to be ashamed of. The bravest people I know are the people who have walked into my office. The biggest step is asking for help. You are three-fourths away of solving this and getting better by just reaching out and getting help. I'm just going to say something. Um, I have worked in the ER for years, and um, I share a lot about my testimony because I grew up in a family that it was about works, Jewish. You know, a brother that's a doctor, sister, twin sister that's a lawyer, and myself. And it took a breakdown for myself because uh, my husband, my late husband, was facing federal prison. And here we lived in Dallas, we're on the news. He had killed a Jaguar in South America. And I, all the shame, all the money that that was there, everything that life seemed to have was not working. And I went into the bathroom. Okay, now I don't have any medicine. And I didn't even know what to take. But I had five little boys, and I thought, I can't do this. And I took Tylenol. Even though, you know, it didn't do anything, it was an outcry. Mm. And I wasn't saved. So it was through that experience that I finally had to take all that baggage the things that I didn't never shared to anybody, and I do now that I was abused as a child, and things that had, you know, covered up with initials behind my name. And so I think that I see a lot of that to be able to be transparent and to be able to come and talk. So um, I work with dementia patients, I work with psych patients in San Antonio. And the fact is they look at you and think, you don't, you've never experienced this. Mm. And being to be able to be transparent, but it was through that because I didn't understand, you know, I'm supposed to have been the chosen one, you know. And so how is it that, you know, I should have had all of the things. I had the privilege. But until I got in Minrith Meyer and someone was telling me things that I had never heard, then I be able was able to translate and become open, and people prayed for me for years. And so I, I think that 
transparency is part of the thing that we all have to understand that we're all and become broken. Yeah. And I said enough. That's good. Though. It's so you good. Know. Jimmy, I want to add to this. Um, in San Antonio, one of the things that we've done, recognizing the very things you're talking about, the stigma, and the fact that in 70% of the cases, when people come looking for help, they go to a church. And if your your statistic is correct, uh, the a lot of the church people don't know quite what to do, mm-hmm. and so we created a uh, a pathways to hope. It's a, a countywide deal because one of the things that we recognized in Bear County was it touches the medical community, it touches the police community. There are city services that are that are utilized by people not just suicidal, but people that are that are homeless, people that are drifting, people that are in trouble with the law a lot of times, and that kind of stuff. And so uh, to speak about it, and one of the ways that we spoke about it was to have one of the leading pastors in the city talk about his experience with uh, depression. Mm. And it blew people away because he was a well-known pastor, and I'm not talking about Max, just, so, just in case anybody's <laughs> wondering about that, but a very large church, and he, and he shared the story of his wife finding him locked in his closet, and she had to pull him out. In fact, she had to call police to come pull him out. And it was his uh, coming out, literally, mm. of just recognizing and saying, I've, I can't put this together anymore. I don't know what to do. Mm. And he, he came. We had uh, Kay Warren came, and I actually had a chance to, to visit with her about her son and about the mm. situation. And people like that, they were sharing their story, breaking down the stigma that, oh, if they have problems, I guess it's okay right. that I do. Exactly. And to begin to do it. And, and for me, the, 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 the key piece of this is that of where else can we go? We sang uh, at, the, at the beginning of this service, we began to sing about the life that we have in Jesus and the health that we have, the hope that we have. And what happens is, is we lose sight of that. And that is the message. Because underneath a lot of the brokenness of, of life, uh, is the loss of hope or the, the expectation that I'm not good enough, yeah. not even for, for God. I don't understand why he would want me, but we haven't looked into his love. We haven't really learned how to live in that. And that's, that really is ultimately the blessed hope. Yeah, so good. Amen. One of the things that set me free early on was I had read uh, The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson thinking I was reading about spiritual bondage when, in fact, what stood out in that book to me was about my identity in Christ. When that dropped for me, everything changed. It was a complete reorientation of my thinking from the top down, from the heart out, and from my mind as well, to where it renewed my mind to the truth of God's Word that sets us free. And it's one of those things where I'm not one who says you can pray away everything. If my leg is broken, I'm going to go find a doctor. I'm going to get all the medicines I can because I don't like pain. And I'm going to get a cast. I'm going to get it set. I'm going to use crutches as long as I need to. In fact, I don't have this aversion or fear of medication. I am thankful for the medical community and what they can provide, but also for the therapeutic community. And so for me, when I found out who I was in Christ, it shifted things to where I didn't have to hide behind a facade of performance anymore. I didn't have to have it all together. I'm just a kid in the presence of a king. But the good news is I'm his kid. (laughs) He's my dad. He's my father. And when that happened and sonship became real to me, 
it began to bring alignment to a lot of things. Now, did that fix everything in my life? Did it fix trauma? Did it fix past experience? It didn't fix anything, but it oriented me to where now I had some tools to navigate pain, navigate trauma, navigate my past experience. And that, that brings a subject about medication that you were yes, saying. I want to talk about and, that. And I think that the stigma of that, because I always believe, first of all, we are, you know, chemicals in our body, and there is an imbalance. And there are a lot of people that come from generational alcohol, substance abuse, and were born with that as a genetic predisposition. Yeah. So a lot of times, a lot of my uh, clients that I work with are, I deal with addiction, I deal with uh, bipolar, schizophrenia, and, and even, you know, from every gamut. And so they say they don't want to take the medication. Well, they need the medication, but they also need the, the talk therapy, the support of counseling to be able to understand that some of the life things that they have been doing, whether drinking, alcohol, or addictive behaviors, have been destructive in their life. And so that's where, you know, the combination and... You know, so I think the thing is, but generally speaking, most of mine that are bipolar and schizophrenia that I work with in San Antonio don't like the way they feel when they're on the meds, but they're, they have a distorted thought process and they need the help of those meds. One of the things that I, I will tell people um, just to try to release some of the stigma about medication, if anybody's ever really felt that, um, really whenever you're talking about clinical depression or anxiety disorder, you are talking about a chemical imbalance. And the thing that I liken that to is that nobody ever faults a type 1 diabetic for taking insulin. Their body does not produce the insulin they need. They take insulin. And people that need medication for these things that we're talking about, their body is not producing what they need, and they just need to take the medicine in addition to the therapy that they need. But can't they just pray more? Can't they just read their Bible more? It does proven prayer does change. There you go. You know, the um, endorphins and all those things that you need that help yeah. the well-being, and that's great. So the way I see this, too, is that there's a partnership here between what we as a church can provide in the way of spiritual encouragement, guidance, life help, and yet there's another element here. There's a physiological element. There's a psychological element that, that is not in our lane or our purview or our authority. So we have to partner with those who have those skills. God releases grace into the whole body of Christ so that people have a different lane that they run in. They have different strengths that they function in. And so if someone, if I can take somebody to a certain point and I'm, if I'm wise enough and discerning enough to realize this is as far as I can go with this person. We've prayed, we've discipled, we've, we see what the truth is, and yet there's still more to be done here. And then wisdom says, contact somebody and get more help in another area. And I would like to think, and I do, I know all these, they, they see it the same way. There's only so far, only so much they can do, so there's a partnership here that I think is powerful. I think what's happened, though, is the enemy has created this stigma, so there's a separation and so now the body of Christ, to get, we're not functioning together. So the question is, and I've always said it this way, is it spiritual or is it psychological? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes. And where do those overlap? 
Well, we just don't know necessarily. And so to come from both angles is, is the best way to come. You mentioned something earlier in your sermon, in your uh, communion prep about community. Mm. And that's one of the areas that commingles around all of that. Yeah. Okay. And, and so become a, a people that are welcoming, that are non-judgmental, that are accepting, that are manifesting the love of God in Christ Jesus. Mm. And so we become, we recognize, I'm, I've got my brokenness, so do you. There's, yeah. not a, there's not a performance thing going on here. There's just a community, a family yeah. that have learned to follow in, in the love of Christ and to see what that does. Yeah. And it takes that, that love to give us the, the, the freedom from fear to touch other people. And that's where part of our problem comes because we've got a, we've got a culture that doesn't really know how to, to love one another well. Mm. We come out of families that are, that are broken or there have been generations of factories of teaching people, you're only good when, you're only good if, you know, so the performance thing comes and it just wow. solidifies the, the yeah. disease yeah. all the way around. So it's good. Because good. it's, I mean, it's like what you said earlier too, connection is protection. And I think that's another important piece to this conversation is that sometimes a life event will come along whether it's a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one or somebody that you love dearly going through a struggle with cancer that you just can't even believe that they're enduring, that you lose, um, the grief isn't some, this isn't always for somebody who struggles for, from depression or anxiety. This might be something that hits you like a boulder out of the blue. And you're, the grief is so profound that you feel like you lose connect, connection. Um, mm. You lose um, really just get angry, right? I mean, there's, there's times where you're just angry with God because somebody is going through something or you're going through something that you just don't know. And if you don't feel like you can go to prayer, like you said, there's other people you need around you and those people need to be open. Yeah, good. One of the ways I love to, to describe therapy, to me, therapy is just helping and encouraging someone to find their own best answers with God's help. Mm. And so a lot of people come in to think about counseling and don't know what that is. Well, that's what counseling does. That's mm. what Christian counseling does. It's just standing alongside someone, helping them find their own answers with God's help. And uh, it's, not, it's not a scary thing. Yeah. But we all need to be doing that yes. with each other. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So a number of years ago, uh, I went through, I went to see that guy in McKinney tremendously helped me. What I didn't realize is that I was harboring unforgiveness against my dad, totally clueless. He somehow put his finger on that button, and when he mashed it, I almost came over the table and took his throat out. I mean, I was like, I came off the hinges, and did ha I had no idea that was buried there. And so one of the things about the power of counseling is that discovery of things. Sometimes you go for one reason thinking it's this, and there may be a whole nother category that you didn't even know, and God just needed to get you in that place where that could be discovered and be exposed. I think the fear of exposure is one of the biggest things that keeps people from coming to a counselor because they're afraid that what I've hidden or what has happened, it needs to stay hidden and I'm just going to deal with it. Can you all speak to that about hidden Things. Well, there's a lot about shame and guilt mm. and behaviors. And, and I think that stigma for myself was the shame that um, if anybody knew, so it was all about performance, but it wasn't working. I went to the right schools, had the right family, 
had the mm. right friends, lived in the right neighborhood. All of those things just didn't broke down one day and it didn't work. And so I think that that's why I've been attracted to populations that are, um, you know, with uh, rape and crisis. Um, I've worked with the juvenile sex offenders. And it's interesting, I'll tell you something really cute because I was in the Kerr County for six and a half years working on my PhD, whether therapy really worked with cognitive uh, therapy worked, which means that you're changing a person's thoughts to their, their feelings and their behaviors, and punitive, whether all that really, really worked. And one day, about two weeks ago, I was in um, a store, and this young man came up to me, and he goes, are you Linda Atkins? And I go, yes. I looked at him, he said, do you remember me? And I said, sort of, you know, what do you say? And mm -hmm. so uh, he's, he told me his name, and he said, you know, I was one of your kids in that group that you did counseling with at Kerr County back in 1999. And I just want to tell you, you always talked about the Lord, how the Lord helped you in your life. And he said that you planted a seed in my life. And he said, I am preaching now in Stonewall. I went to prison and I went back and um, he had, he was a child, he, he had committed a crime where he was profiled as a sex offender. And so he had to forgive himself. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, certainly the community forgave him, but it's through all of those kind of things that you just never know. And so I think I forgot what the question was. I think I've dementia. <laughs> um, you know, just those kind of situations that happen, and we never know when, you know, how we touch somebody. And I'm stop talking. So I want to, this, this bleeds right over into where we're going with this. For the follower of Christ, what role does faith play in finding hope and a pathway to health? So that's, because all of you are followers of Jesus, and yet you work in various environments, some more Christian than others. So how does the, how does the role of faith uh, play, what does it play in finding hope, but also what does it play in your own life and how you do what you do? I use the analogy that our lives are kind of like a wagon wheel. And the hub of that wheel needs to be firmly Christ. Mm -hmm. And outside of those wheels, we have spokes like our physical health, our spiritual, intellectual, relational, all of those things. Mm -hmm. But if one of those spokes isn't working right, the wheel's not going to turn. But if we have that hub, if Christ is really the center of our lives... He's going to bring people into our lives, and he's going to bring help into our lives. And it's going to start rolling again. That's great. I think one of the things, um, you know, the, the bookmarks that are here at the end of the stage mm -hmm. still, um, really with the identity in Christ, when things around you just seem to be falling apart, and you really just go to those truths yeah. um, that are there, like you, you feel like you're broken or that you're, that you're dirty or something like that. And, I mean, the truth is God loves you who you are sure. in the moment that you're in, right, right. at that very minute. Right. And so just turning to that and leaning into that, even with doubt at times, leaning into it and then leaning more and then really truly owning it is just a way to restoration. Yeah, good, good. 
Well, I've sometimes <clears throat> I've, I've seen <clears throat> excuse me um, I've seen people who've come and they have a really hard time with their faith. They're, they're questioning it and and they're really having a hard time believing any of those things about their their identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. And over time, and with you know, kind of digging and. You know, I don't push people, but they talk about their lives, and it starts becoming more obvious that their idea about God and their idea of their parents has gotten so commingled that what they think is God is really their parents Mm. Mm. or someone in their life that has had a strong influence on them and and given them a sense of shame or a sense of responsibility for things that they can't even control in other people's lives, like you know, you made me drink, things like that. Yeah. And having to clarify that, you know, your reaction toward God is really not toward the real God. That's separate. Mm-hmm. And having them to start seeing which is which. Yeah. They get a lot. They draw closer to God and they start seeing themselves differently and other people differently. Yeah. So... So good. In the presence of that kind of love, it's an acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, there's there's a lack of fear that somehow or another this is up to me to fix them because I don't do that anyway. That's what Jesus does, and and uh, but I can be with them, you know. And and in the in that, that's a gift. And in the presence of that, then people yeah. can begin to to experience maybe for the first time just an acceptance. Yeah. And all those, all those demons that are rocking around in their heads, saying lies and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, over time, because of the trust that builds and the relational connection, then you can begin to dis- dismantle things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from sort of what you're talking about, the hidden things, um, really finding forgiveness for past experiences, past mm-hmm. relationships, and forgiving themselves for something. Um, Edith Eager, just a paraphraser, she says mm-hmm. to forgive is to... Um, to grieve, um, to, to mm. grieve a different past. So there's so many things that happen that are offenses yes. in life that people hold on to. And sometimes you just have to let it go and go through a grieving process. Like, why wasn't my husband perfect to me? And, you know, why was there infidelity? Or you say those types of things, and then you grieve it. And you realize, well, that's not the path that I was put on. And then you move on, and you are able to forgive yourself or forgive others. Mm. So that brings up a good question because this is something that we all deal with or are dealing with or will, and that is the issue of unforgiveness and the role that that plays in anchoring you uh, in a bad place. So this is kind of open that up just because that's, it's such a powerful thing. The population that I seem to work with is homeless, prison, Sex offenders. I mean, just you know, sometimes people that I know, my family even go, "How do, how do you go in there?" And they haven't forgiven themselves. They have horrific stories that you wonder, "Oh my gosh, how did they survive?" Mm. And as Erica was referencing, uh, Doctor Edgar, who was a Holocaust survivor. Um, most of them have post-traumatic stress disorder, which we see and we're going to see more of and need to be prepared for military or even just life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the thing that happens is it's just through our acceptance of them because they'll just, you know, 
they don't, they're angry at God. Many of them have said, I prayed, and a lot of them came from a lot of uh, religious kind of circumstances. And I just have to love them. I have to just say, I love you. And they don't understand that because it's like, what do I want? But I had to understand that too, mm. coming from, okay, this is a give-take thing. And I did not understand it. So you may all have been raised in the church and heard this message. Most of the people that I work with haven't. So it's through that, living it, being there, not without judgment and 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 it starts to change. It starts to change, and then the church bringing him into the church, hearing the message that that God created him perfectly, which I didn't understand that either, because, you know, I thought you know going through all the religious stuff, being Jewish, it was about judgment, and so that is a big thing of fulfilling that and bringing that word to them and saying you are loved, you are perfect in His sight. Um, the hard message for them. Mm. And it's really, I mean, there's people that are brought up in the church even that will say an eye for an eye is how we, is how we go mm. about life. And really it's, um, you really have to hone them back into Christ as the example and forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. I mean, Christ is a message of forgiveness. And for anybody who is holding a grudge and whether that's against themselves or against somebody else, I think a funny little adage is, you know, for, like not forgiving somebody or holding a grudge is like drinking a poison and hoping that person dies because yeah. unforgiveness yeah. is just such a weight and it really just care, like just holds you down. And so forgiveness is a freedom and a freeing experience. So we've got you here. So I'm going to ask a question that may be obvious for us. What would be our first step? If someone here, if I'm suffering from unfair, I'm feeling that, I'm holding something, what's my first step? Where do I go with that first? What would you recommend? I think t- just talking to somebody that okay. will give them unconditional love and mm-hmm. unconditional positive regard and unconditional forgiveness, knowing that we're all sinners. Mm-hmm. You know, you're no worse than me. Mm-hmm. And you can trust me to, to t- tell me those things, and I'm not going to judge you. We need to do that as therapists, and we need to do that as a church body. Mm, mm. Part, part of the, um, the health of that moment is set up by just being willing to go uh, across the street, so to speak, and hear their story. That's yeah. right. Most people haven't had a chance to really put all that, unpack that together with, the, with safety, without being shamed, without being, no, 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 let's fix it this way, or, you know, no, you can't do that. You can't believe that. You just accept and you are demonstrating the love of Christ in the way that he accepts us by hearing that story. After that's, that, that moves to that point, then you're at a, a different place to be able to share a next step. It'll, but a lot of times, most people move too quickly. It's powerful. Yes, yeah. I really try. I, I tell people, I'm not going to make you forgive anybody. And, you know, you take your time. Because when they feel pressure to forgive, they just push it right back down, mm. you know. And so often people who have a lot to forgive have never really expressed it all it to mm. anybody in one coherent, you know, the, mm-hmm. the whole picture. And once they do that and they start seeing how that what they wanted to happen to them, they didn't have control of it. And as long as they are holding on to wanting to somehow get even, it's like, 
that person is still controlling you, you know. And I talked to a man this week, and it was like, I guess I told him, I think you feel like if you really kind of forgive your parents for this, that somehow they got away with it, and that you holding it against them is somehow going to punish them. I said, does it? And he said, absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. and to kind of help people start seeing that that wish to hold the grudge or to hold out for revenge is a dead end. Right. Yeah. I think many people think that they have to forgive on their own. Mm. We can't forgive on our own. Mm. Only God can, only Christ through us can start that healing process. Yeah. And all we have to do is just say, Lord, help me forgive. And he starts working in us. But a therapist or a counselor can encourage that and uh, help that process begin. Well, it was good for me when I visited the guy in McKinney because I didn't even realize it was there. There was something, but I I couldn't identify it because you can't see the forest for the trees when it's yourself. And the fact that he pulled that out of me, you can't shoot a rabbit you can't see. You know what I mean? It's like it had to be exposed. It had to be where I could see it. Because now I had a target. Now, I, oh, this is that. Once that discovery was made, then it was relatively easy for me to take the step into that. And so once I did, there was just such freedom. The drive back from McKinney to Abilene was amazing in the pouring rain, but it was amazing because it was a, a level of freedom I had never experienced. And it, it was a catalyst that started me on a journey of freedom. And it just needed that, that one thing to happen. And it's like the Lord was just waiting on me or maybe just the timing to do that. But it took, it took somebody coming alongside me. I, I needed multiple. I still need multiple anchors in my life. I can't do any of this by myself. I need you. You have no idea how much you minister to me on an ongoing basis just through hallway conversations and interactions and highs and buys and what we call bump and runs around here. But yet it ministers life. I leave here invigorated every Sunday because of you, because you're another anchor point for me, and it's helpful. And so I want to, I don't, I want to, we already talked a little bit about this, uh, actually quite a bit on our identity in Christ, and uh, I'll let the cat out of the bag, but we're going there next week on that topic, so we're going to move on. A couple of things here. So where do we go from here? I mean, we're going to land the plane here, we'll have another service in a little bit, but where do we well, go from here? Okay, we well, kind of exposed some of this, but what do we do? I think people are not going to come walking. The people that I know that I work with are, have too much shame. They're not going to be able to walk in here, feel, look at you, and come in and feel worthy to come before mm. until they are able to come in and get some help. And, and I, I think that um, there is... Uh, in the, even in this community, I was kind of shocked at some of the things that I get presented with in the ER, and I thought, oh, it's really here, and I've worked in big cities, and, and there's many things. We have even our police department, our fire department that work with first responders that go home, and they have issues because mm-hmm. what they see, they have to be able to feel like they can walk in a door and, and maybe get a little, you know, pat on the back or feel like, am I okay? So some groups, uh, some just being able to talk and share and be, like I say, transparent is going mm-hmm. to lead to this community to come and be able to say, 
there is things here. I know we have AA groups and various um, support groups and stuff, but when you have a church and you are able to to know that there is a place to come and then sit down and hear a message that you are loved, that's what it did for me. I wasn't able to walk in and get baptized and say I'm clean until I had to work through and knew that there was some hope. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my thoughts. That's great. I think it's really important just to recognize that each of you has a sphere of influence, whether that's in your family or in your workplace or in the place where you go play basketball in the morning with some friends. Um, and in those spheres, just to really open conversation. Um, this type of conversation has kind of become the direction of my life, and it's a God thing. I really do think it is because my doctoral research, um, 20% of the people who came into our office that were coming in for what we call same-day illnesses, things like sinus infections, knee pain, back pain, 20% of them were experiencing spiritual distress, meaning that they were just a loss of connection. Um, and they were coming in for something like a sinus infection. I mean, it's just really wild things. And so we figured this out and then engaged in conversation. And so that's my point is that don't just say, hey, what's up? Everything's great. My Facebook life, it's perfect. Um, you know, just don't do that because that's not it. Just ask people, How's, how are things going right now? And if you sense a little nudge that maybe things aren't going quite right, take the time in your sphere to go a little bit deeper and ask them really what's going on and what you can do to walk alongside them through whatever journey they're on. That's excellent, yes. Like I said before, the first and most important step, the three forces solving this is reaching out for help. Right. You know, go go to your family physician. That's a good source. And talk to them. They can usually talk to you, maybe get you on medication if you need it, refer you, go talk to your pastor, go talk to one of us. Just reach out to somebody that you know that can connect you with people who can help you. Yeah. That first step's the hardest. You get yeah. past that, yeah. and you're on your way. Mm-hmm. So good, Renee. Thank you. Well, I think I think these connect groups that you know mm-hmm. are springing yes. up. Mm-hmm. That's where you start finding people that mm-hmm. you can talk to. That's true. And you know, you have to kind of use your judgment and find people that are safe and that right. aren't gossips. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's very important to keep these things confidential. Yeah, that's good. the only way people can feel safe. That's good. Right. You know. Good. Because later on, they may not care if everybody knows. But in the beginning, that's part of that shame. So confidentiality is so important. I really like the idea that that each of us is on mission with God, following him. And that's what Jesus did. And he would engage people like the Samaritan woman at the well. And that that was probably not on his list of things to do first thing in the morning. But God directed him there, and he met her where she was and was able to talk. What Linda was t- saying about the the support communities in a mm-hmm. church, I think that's that's easy pickings, low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Things uh, that we do at Oak Hills, uh, divorce care, the the one key thing that all of us kind of aspire to do is get married and have a family. And what happens when that blows up? It, whether it's your fault, their fault, everybody's fault, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. It's mm-hmm. still you got it all over you, and and people carry that with them. And so to come to a place where they're not getting banged on the head saying, well, you know, you're an adulterer, you're this kind of stuff, uh, you failed, but you're, you're just welcomed and you're heard and you get a chance to tell your story. And it's, it's always a two-way street. It's not one person's fault. Good. But you get a chance to process that out in the community, again, the, of grace and love and acceptance. Good. 
The same thing for grief. Um, I'm, I am a huge proponent of grief work because most of us don't grieve well. Uh, we're carrying deaths and, and disappointments from way, way back, and grief can be a lot of different losses, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's like the, the unforgiveness piece. Yeah. In fact, that's part of the unforgiveness piece of around a, of around a, a bad relationship with a parent mm -hmm. or anybody uh, is what I lost, what I expected and what I didn't get. Right. And, and so uh, that becomes a place where, wow, you can actually have hard and deep and important conversations in a small setting um, with, with the right people, and it begins, it jettisons growth. Yeah. One of the things that, that, um, that I'm discovering as, as I'm walking along now, and this goes back to some of the neuroscience that we're starting to discover and how the brain actually protects us or works against us mm. under stress and under, under uh, major challenges. Uh, the, the amygdala kicks in and it, and it sends the brain into a fight or flight kind of syndrome. And so we live literally in a constant state of on guardness, okay? Yeah. And it gets really, really hard to feel, to connect into the right hemisphere where there's creativity and joy and relational connections uh, and God connections. Yeah. And so one of the things that, that uh, I'm spending a lot of time doing with, with individuals now is helping them learn how to quiet their spirit and through breathing and through mindfulness and through just, just being with people mm -hmm. so that the brain says, okay, it's safe. And once that happens, it's amazing to me how, how God-tuned they become. And the reason, the big reason is that is God loves us and he wants to connect us and he wants to connect to get past that. And, and so a lot of times I'm listening and asking, well, what, what do you hear God saying to you? Mm -hmm. Even in the moment. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to pick things back up. And they're going, you know, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm remembering, and off we go. Mm -hmm. And the loving presence of Jesus shows up and begins right. to lead them into the places where we can have healing. And it, I see, I've just seen it get supercharged now. Beautiful. Instead of a whole lot of talk, it's, they're encountering Jesus. So we're going to land the plane here, and this is, this is why this is hard to do, because we're starting the conversation. We don't get to end it today, which is good, too, because we will do this again. We're going to have to do this again. And so just notice the screen there. Where do we go from here? Tell your story. Talk to somebody. Find somebody to talk to, somebody who will listen. And then be a good listener on your part, because... There are friends around us whose behaviors are shifting, and if we're not in tune to that and we don't notice, we may miss something that could have been a, a very important moment for them to, to walk them into wholeness and healing. And, and you do talk to somebody. Tell your story, but talk to someone. Ask for help. And so we're going to uh, end with this. If I know of someone, or if I, if I or someone I know is in crisis and needs help, uh, what should be their next step. So let's end with this. We're a little over time, but this is really important. Can you just, somebody give us a short, where do we go? What, what's the next step? Sometimes things have to be reported. And, and mm. yesterday I had a situation with someone saying that they saw a baby, uh, a little boy put a plastic bag over a five-month-old baby. And the family, the lady said, what do I do? And I said, you have to report it. You have to call adult, uh, Child Protective Services. It's anonymous, but you have to do it, or Adult Protective Services when you see, um, you know, somebody being hurt, abused, exploited, all of those kind of things. So, or the police, some somebody, you know, but 
just sitting back and watching you become, you know, that's not solving it, and, mm. and they need help. I want to go back to something I mentioned earlier, early on that we found in Bear County. 70% of the people, when they're looking for help, go to churches. Okay. So let's make the church a safe place. Let's there make the go. church a place of, of productivity and knowledge uh, and, and begin that process. Yeah. One of the things that we try to do, and I think you're doing it as well, is just recognizing what are the resources in the community because right. we don't have to be the doer of all significant things here, right? <laughs> we, can, we can recognize, hey, there's a group over here, there's a person over here that I know and trust and can, can lead them to that. And yeah. so it's... Uh, we become, we don't have to do it all, but we can be the, yeah. the connecting point. Very good. Very good. All right, we're going to press pause here. We'll pick up this conversation down the road. We're going to have to do this again. And Skillers, can we bless them and thank them for being here? Thank you so much. Let's all stand together. I just want to pray us out. And again, we're just starting the conversation. But I'm going to invite the Lord to literally speak into each of our lives not only for our own health, but those around us who we're connected to. Father, in the name of your Son, we're before you today. Our hearts are open to you, Lord, because we desire to be whole, to be exactly what and who you've called us to be. You've given us a destiny, but there are so many forces at work to derail us off of that destiny. And so we're trying to talk about that, Lord. Give us grace as we lean into who can we tell our story to? Who can we talk to? Where can we go? Give us grace, Lord, and may this place, Bridge Church Fredericksburg, be a safe place where it's, it's okay to not be okay, and no perfect people are allowed here, and where there's that love that, that flows through this body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of bringing this out and exposing the elephant in the room today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.